0: This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 94.
1: But I didn't go right from acting when I left to entrepreneurship. I spent five years working for others uh, in the quote-unquote corporate world in the fitness industry, on the business side of the industry. I wasn't a trainer. What helps them consume what we're saying are the pauses in between the ideas that we're sharing.
0: Are you still trying to figure out what it is that you should be doing? Go ahead and go on over to figure it and you can take our free eight day course that helps you figure out what it is that you should be doing. Or you can text HTYC to three, eight, four, seven, zero. That's HTYC to three, eight, four, seven, zero. Just text on over and we'll see you at FigureItOut.co. <laughs> This is Happen to Your Career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, we're back. And this is the show where we help you take control of your life and figure out what you should be doing. We feature people that have pretty amazing stories of making changes and experts that can help you live the life and choose the career that you want and and actually get there. And then people that are like our next guest that help you experience resounding success in whatever it is that you choose to do. And in our conversation, and this was, a, this was a fun conversation, this was a good one, you're going to get to learn how you can steal the show if you approach life as a stage and learn to play the right role for every situation. You're also going to learn why the technique of acting as if, and many people have heard of this, but why this technique of acting as if is a really effective way to summon your confidence when you need it most. And we talk specifically how to do that. You're also going to learn the very best way to approach defining your personal brand. And guess what? You don't have to get it right on the first try. That's not the important part. You'll find out what is when you listen to the episode. You're also going to learn why making decisions irreversible, at least for a period of time, can actually lead you to greater satisfaction and success With the choices that you make. And lastly, we we get to talk about a few quick and dirty speaking tips straight out of our guest's new book, Steal the Show. And you'll get to hear my conversation with Michael Port. He's he's the author of Book Yourself Solid. Beyond Book Yourself Solid book yourself solid illustrated that's a whole bunch of book yourself solid right the contrarian effect the think big manifesto and he's been called an uncommonly honest author by the boston globe to add to that he's also a mentor he's a public speaker and a formal professional actor you might have seen him on sex in the city law and order or even the third watch now he lives in pennsylvania with his family here he is on Happened to your career my conversation with Michael Port. Hey, I'm, I'm super excited to be here with Michael Port, who this is what you're about to see in the advanced maneuver because he just spilled water all over himself and is going immediately post water right into right into our discussion. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Well, the water was quite
1: cold, so I feel quite cool.
0: <laughs> well, that's perfect.
1: That's going to work out then. So and normally I'm not cool at all. I'm a huge dork. So uh, maybe this will be my best interview ever.
0: <laughs> I think you're going to fit in here. I think this is going to work out. We can we can probably keep going. You are you're home today, and we were just chatting a little bit before before I hit the record button about you know uh, you you've created a business with the intention of. Really living, I would say, um, just outside looking in, but living the living the life you actually want to. Mm. Uh, so I, I want to dig into that a little bit throughout our conversation, but also you know we're going to end up talking a little bit about a new book you've got sure. coming out called "Steal the Show." So I want to talk about that too. But hey, before we get into all of that, I want to understand a little bit more about, uh, about your transition Uh, because you've, you've done a whole bunch of different things. You know, you went from acting to uh, now you've created this, uh, you know, jumping back and then jumping forward. You've, you've created this, uh, this business that helps people well to steal your name, you know, book, book yourself solid. But I was, as we were getting into some of the research and everything like that for you, Michael, there's one thing that I saw, That I thought was pretty cool and I want to ask you a little bit about just to just to kick it off. So how on earth did you go from acting to where now your mission is uh, and and just a part of it is to rally big thinkers. And you you talk about how you're serving people that that are starting all of these personal and professional and societal revolutions. So that's a, that's a massive difference going from, you know, appearances on Sex in the City to, hey, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am uh, helping people start revolutions.
1: Interestingly enough, I, I don't think it's that different, although Sex in the City may be quite different. You know, I think you're most in service when you're doing the things you love. And if you choose something that's just uh, about serving others, but you really don't like doing it, you know, you're probably not going to do a great job. So when I was a performer or when I was an actor, I'm still a performer. When I was an actor, uh, I looked at my work as an opportunity to explore the human dynamic relationships uh, and and tell stories that affected people deeply. So in that way, I saw it as a work of service that I love to do and Took great pride in and joy, and, and it was challenging both intellectually, physically, and emotionally. But I didn't go right from that into entrepreneurship. When I left acting, I had a hard time with the business side of it. Interestingly enough, it just—what do, just,
0: do you mean when you say business side of it?
1: Well, I loved the working, but I, I really didn't like the uh, the auditioning part of it, uh, which you know is not surprising. And I was immature. I think I was, you know, I was younger and I, I just didn't like the idea of having to go in and ask for jobs. It just didn't make sense to me. You, you know, I, I feel like I have to go in and, and prate and prance and, and, uh, and other people decide if I work. And I had a hard time with that at that age. And also I had a hard time reconciling the idea of networking hmm. because you know, someone would say, hey, Mike, Michael, let's go to, you know, the, you know, opening night party for Shakespeare in the Park or something. I'd be like, I don't want to go because I'm not in the show and I don't want to be just like another actor who's there, who's not, nobody knows who they are. And I just, you know, I felt insecure in that way. And that was detrimental to my career. I should have been at all of those opening night parties. I should have made, you know, my... Uh, focus on relationship development. Now, I eventually did that, but in a different industry. And it's one of the reasons that I feel so strongly about full commitment that I will never make the same mistakes I made as an actor in the business that I have now. But I didn't go right from acting when I left to entrepreneurship. I spent five years working for others uh, in the quote unquote corporate world in the fitness industry, on the business side of the industry. I wasn't a trainer um, um or health specialist, I was on the business side, and I talked my way into a job for which I was completely unqualified. But I was honest that I had none of the qualifications required. But I I gave them my argument. I I, I demonstrated to them why they should give me a shot. And I think the reason I got that job is because of my training as an actor. I have an MFA from NYU's Graduate Acting Program, and my training and my experience taught me how to play the right role in every situation. Which job was that, Michael? That was my very first job for the sports club company, uh, be, being a group exercise manager at one of their locations. So it was a middle management, uh, job and, and playing the right role was what helped me get that job because I was able to do my research, develop the character, uh, and, and go in there and play that role. And I got it as a result. Again, in full authenticity, full integrity, completely honest about what qualifications I had and what I didn't have. Uh, but it worked. And I recognized that at that moment, I said, my God, you know, acting, you know, I'm not acting as a model that I can use for in so many different aspects of life. Now, I didn't realize at the time uh, that I could create a protocol around it that others could use to do the same thing. That took me, over a decade, uh, to, to, to realize, to engineer, to come to terms with. And that's what steal the show is about in large part, this idea that we are playing roles all the time. And if we know how to play the right role, if we know how to perform in integrity with authenticity, amplifying the best parts of our personality, then we steal the show we find our voice in the process. We overcome our fears and maybe even silence the critics. As a result.
0: Okay, so let me let me ask you before you move on. Then all of that sounds really good, and I did, I absolutely hundred percent agree with everything that you just said. But but yeah, you hear the but coming, right? Actually, no, but I just want to understand how. Did that actually work? Like in reality, down in the, in the nitty gritty, when you were well, let's take that job as an example. That job that you were just talking about that you got when you didn't have what everybody would say is the experience to get it, uh, mm-hmm. and you you know went in and you I'm going to say leveraged that authenticity and were very upfront and honest and with integrity, mm-hmm. but didn't have all of those different things. What did that actually look like? Because I think sure. people really struggle to get that piece and, and, and this
1: seems to be a pivotal point in your story. Yeah. So Lee Strasberg, one of the famous acne teachers said that an actor's job in large part is to constantly create reality and then express that reality. So think about that. We do that all day long. We're creating our reality all day long and then we go about expressing it. But the difference is that the actor chooses the reality they want to create. Most people don't. Most people are creating their reality without thought, without choices, without making decisions. And of course, every decision you make tells the world something about you. So when I was looking at uh, getting that job, the first thing I had to do was do the backstory, right? And that's what the actor does on their character. What's the backstory? Where does this character come from? What's their life been like? So I'm looking at that job and I say, well what what's the backstory of the person who gets this job? That's the first thing I did. Hmm. So I was able to identify, I looked at all the different people that, that they have hired in the past that I had access to. And I identified the different qualities or characteristics that these people had, uh, that must have been attractive to the company. Now, interestingly enough, what I found is that I thought that they were, drawing on the wrong backstory. I thought they were drawing on a backstory that actually was getting in the way of them hiring the right type of performer. How do you, they were hiring, they were hiring the wrong people. Well, in that particular case, they were hiring the top level fitness professionals and moving them into management positions to manage other fitness professionals. But the star performers in group exercise, They weren't necessarily managers. They weren't systems thinkers necessarily. Some of them uh, are, of course, but most of them aren't. What they did is they thought that the big personality, the one that everybody knows, the one everybody looks up to, well, that's the person that should be in charge. And in fact, it was often a disaster because a manager is very different than a performer in the way that uh, it was designed in that particular uh, company. Mm -hmm. And so I demonstrated them. I said, this is the wrong backstory." I said, here's the backstory that that you know, that you need in the person that you're looking to hire. And I have all of those qualities. And so that's the first thing that I did. You see, and it's just like what you would do as an actor. Now, the second thing is that, you know, you, 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 you go, you, you set an objective. You clearly set an objective. What, what the performer does is they say, well, my character's going after this. I want to achieve this, you know? And then you find the motivation to do it. And your motivation has got to be so strong that you will achieve that objective or die trying. And that's what's compelling to watch. If you ever watch a, an actor, you know, who sort of walks through their part, it's, it's boring. You're not interested. There's no, there's no risk. Yes. And, and what and, and the same thing with people. You know, the people that take really big risks are often really compelling people. That's what the actor does. The people who make big, big, big goals, they, they're really clear about their objectives and they have such strong motivation that their desire is stronger than their fear. Then they will go after that objective and they will do everything in their power. They will try every tactic they possibly can to get that. Result to get that objective and that's exactly what I did in the interview process and it is exactly what I demonstrated to them that I will do every single day That
0: is really interesting. I don't think I've heard it quite put that exact way in what you just said Your desire is greater than your fear um so uh, you know our our business and this show we work with helping people move from where they're at to work that they they love stop mm-hmm. doing work that uh, that they don't want to be doing and and start doing the things that
1: really fit them Yeah. So uh, oh, so no, so ahead, here's yeah ahead. so so here's the thing so You know, one of the things people ask is, well, you know, I feel like I really want this. I've got a lot of desire, but I'm still so afraid and I'm not really getting anywhere. Well, one of the ways that we move through this fear is by saying as if and acting as if this is what the actor does. Because the great thing about, you know, acting is that you get to play this other person. Of course, you're bringing yourself to it, but it's a character that exists on a page that you are bringing to life. You're creating this reality. In real life, it's scarier sometimes because you say, well, I am only this one type of person. I can only behave this one way. And that I don't think is true. I think that is where we fall down because the most effective people, the most successful people are the performers. And I don't mean actors, I mean performers who can adopt lots of different styles of behavior So they can fit in in lots of different environments. And the way they do it is by acting as if I act as if I am comfortable in this space. I act as if I am confident in this situation. I act as if I am, et cetera. You see, and that is a very powerful tool and it's all driven by your imagination. So you start to see yourself in bigger, more compelling ways. And if you see yourself in bigger, more compelling ways, you see yourself as more capable, You know, uh, people often, people often uh, will comment that that because I've written a lot of books and because I do what I do, they go, you're really smart. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure uh, that I'm smart in the way people are defining it. You know, this word smart that we throw around is, is a, is a very broad uh, word. It's very subjective. I am not what one would consider an intellectual. I would i had trouble with the Dewey decimal system i can i can it, you might be too young for the Dewey decimal system i was going to
0: say you're you're dating yourself just as yeah. you said Dewey decimal system but
1: exactly. i know what you're talking about yeah yeah for the young folks don't worry about it but it's something that you found in the library and and it helped you find the books on the shelves <laughs> if if you know what a library is or even a book on a shelf but in any event i my i can still barely spell my own name i have i have these really you know severe dyslexia and I, I feel capable even though, and that's because I can act as if I can see myself playing lots of different roles and then it makes me feel capable. So, so that's one of the things that's really interesting about the, I using acting as a model for life rather than just a metaphor. Uh, If you do it, you know, look, the, the best performers in the world are the most authentic performers in the world. That's why you love Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep because they're so honest as performers. Oh, yeah. And the same thing is true here. We're not, you know, this, this idea that the actor is, is being phony. That's a myth. The phony actor is the bad actor. The honest actor is the good actor. So everything that I'm talking about here is driven by honesty and integrity and authenticity. That's, what's important to remember. But if you act as if then, you know, whether or not, you think you're smart becomes irrelevant. You use your imagination to put yourself into that role and you start to move into that role and play into that role and see yourself in that role. And your imagination does the trick until you do the work and then you feel comfortable because you're able to do the work. So you said something,
0: and and I'm really curious. You, You mentioned, as we started talking about this, about how people get sort of locked into, I can only act this way in this situation or behave in this way in this situation and you know, acting as if is part of the solution. Yeah. But I'm really curious where that's been, you know, where, where in your life you were struggling with that and you know, really felt like, hey, I can, only, I can only behave in this particular way in this particular thing. And, and then high school. High school. Okay, so tell me about that. Yeah, and how you acted as if, or how you got over that.
1: Well, high school is is actually where I I struggled with this the most, and I think a lot of people struggle in different ways in high school. Oh yeah,
0: oh, yeah.
1: high school is a tough time. Middle school is even worse. But I was really big. I was like the you know the man, every class is a man child. I started shaving in the fifth grade. Was or something. <laughs> that was me. I was Michael big Port might. the man child. Yeah, I was. It was. It was a man child. So on one hand, there were benefits that came along with it. I was physically stronger. I was a good athlete. Uh, you know. Um, I, I did get picked on, but only by the much older kids, which sucked. But I didn't really get picked on in my class too much. Yeah. So, but I got I got this label of Big Mike, and I hated it. I just absolutely hated it. And I went to a very aggressive, very um, intensive, and competitive private school in New York City, where I felt. Like everybody else was smarter than I was and I, I wasn't the top student there. So I felt like I got labeled as, you know, big Mike, who's not the great student and I didn't want to keep that label, but I didn't know how to play on any other role. So I played into that role. You know, it's look, look, if you call someone stupid over and over and over, they start to believe that they're stupid. Yeah. This is what happens. So if a parent treats a child that way or a husband treats a wife that way, then, you know, it starts to seep into their entire being. But when I went to, effect, exactly. And when I went to college, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use Mike anymore. I'm going to use Michael. Now it's just tiny little change, but it changed my character. Michael has a different sound than Mike you don't say big Michael. It doesn't work. You can only it say big Michael, It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't flow. Way. And it has and different su- connotations too. It seems like. It, exactly. And I started to play a different role. I studied, I, I, I started to, um, uh, adapt to the environment that I was in. And, and that is where I started to see like, Oh, I don't have to be what I was before or what other people thought I was or think I am. I don't have to do that. I can start to play into a different role just by that simple name change really showed me something. And and we, we can do that. Now, here's what's interesting. When, when I meet people, sometimes they'll call me Mike and I'll say, hi, I'm Michael. And they'll go, hey, Mike, come here. They'll just change my name. <laughs> and I always find that interesting. And I don't make a big deal about it. But I find people who have uh, who come from a more working class background rather than uh, an intellectual background will change my name to Mike. And then I had a realization as when I got older that ah, they feel more comfortable with that. And I go, well, let me let's ha- let me let them call me Mike. There's no problem with that, and then we feel more connected. Such a simple thing. But I have I have yet to meet somebody who works at a university or writes books for a living um, or does, you know, is an engineer or something like that who has changed my name to Mike when we met. I've only seen people do that who are not in what you would call very intellectually driven fields. Now, they may be more capable. I mean, the guy who is uh, my slip neighbor he, he his boat is docked right next to my boat at the marina uh, he's more successful than you know 90% of the people at the marina uh, you know he does something like 30 million dollars a year because uh, he owns his co- own company and he didn't go to college and you know, he comes from a, a background where he didn't focus on education when he was younger. So, you know, this education versus no education, uh, you know, we could talk about that all, all night long and I'm not sure, sure that most educated people are the happiest and or even most successful people. But nonetheless, the point is, is that we, we come, you know, each person comes from a different background. We have different customs, different rituals, and we see uh, people uh, as either like us or not like us. But if we can identify the, the rituals, the patterns, the habits, the styles, uh, the, the voice patterns, you know, different linguistic behaviors, well, we can start to make sure that those people feel comfortable around us if we adopt some of those styles without ever losing our value system. So if I am, you know, uh, you know, downtown in Manhattan, or let's say I'm in the Bronx, uh, I grew up in Riverdale, which is in the yeah. Bronx. Yeah. Uh, let's say I'm in the Bronx and, you know, I, I see a whole bunch of guys who, you know, they're, they're working construction and we get into a conversation and, you know, I might change the way I talk a little bit. Like my my accent might get a little different. Now, I'm not going to start talking like this because like and pretend that I have a heavy New York accent or anything, but I might dentalize my T's a little bit. I might talk a little bit, you know, more staccato, a little choppier. Uh, and even some of the words i use will start to change we do this often most people do this the, the folks who are so true to self that they aren't willing to adapt to the environments that they're in often don't progress
0: so this is really interesting i'd love to talk about this exact concept for just a minute because this has been this has been something that i personally over the years have have struggled with in terms of I I've I've always felt that I have adapted fairly well in, in the types of things that you're talking about. Um, you know, even even changing, you know, slight slight subtle I don't know, body movements and things like that. Not mm-hmm. entirely sure where I learned to do that, but uh mm-hmm. but picked it up and then found a lot of success with that. And then mm-hmm. at some point I feel like I almost swung the opposite way. It's like, no, <laughs> I don't like what societal norms are. And then I found myself for a period of a couple of years just literally ignoring that type of stuff and almost (laughs) intentionally trying to, trying to disregard all of those types of what I would call social cues. I don't know. You might have better word for it, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, it was so interesting, the different types of reactions that I would get from people, especially when meeting new people. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is that, um, even though I felt like I was trying to be myself, i didn't get to be myself with other people because they weren't engaged with me in the exact same way so those were my observations Um, and now i think i've fallen more back towards uh, not necessarily middle ground but being myself while still adjusting those slight social tenses almost let me cut back in here for a second i want you to meet tracy
2: I'm Tracy, and I'm from San Diego. I am a microbiology lab supervisor at a medical device and diagnostics company here in town.
0: Before Tracy found our eight-day figure-it-out course, here's what life was like for her.
2: I was drowning in debt and seriously struggling to find a way out of it. I've got student loans (laughs) from the late 90s that I'm trying to pay down, as well as a car loan.
0: Okay, now you might be thinking, what does debt have to do with Tracy's career? And what does any of this have to do with this eight-day figure-it-out course?
2: And this course really helped me to gain a lot of clarity around what was important to me and helped me to see possibilities beyond my current situation. So with that, I've actually started a small virtual assistant business on the side, and I have been able to seriously accelerate my debt repayment plan. I will be completely debt-free in just over two years from now. Wow. Wow.
0: Congratulations, Tracy. We love hearing stories just like that one. Now, if you want that type of clarity that can help you move forward in your life, here's what you can do. Just text HTYC to 38470, HTYC to 38470, or just visit figureitout.co.
1: That's figureitout.co. This idea of being yourself is interesting to me because we have created a persona, each yeah. one of us. Yeah. So our self is our self today, right? Today, not 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So who's real different, right? So w- which one is real?
0: I would say they're the both one real. that, uh, both. so, so they're both real, but how much does, how much does the, I don't know, not in the now matter.
1: I think it all matters. I think it's, I think what, what, uh, what I'm suggesting here is that we adopt different styles of behavior in different chapters of our life. Uh We adopt different perspectives, different ways of seeing the world in different chapters of our life. What happens sometimes when we're in a particular chapter of our life was we become so married to who we think we are and we hold on so tight to it Mm. that we constrain ourselves from allowing many different parts of our personality to come out while still holding on to who we are. So when people talk about performance, they often talk about self-expression. Sure. And I love the idea of self-expression. I I think, I think, however, to me, self-expression comes from self-understanding because self-expression without self-understanding is just telling everybody what you think and emoting all over the place. That, that may not, that may not be a compelling type of self-expression, but, but compelling self-expression is often a result of an understanding of yourself. If you understand yourself, you're very comfortable, which means that you don't care that much about what people say or think. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're arrogant. doesn't mean that you're disconnected. It doesn't mean that you're rude, but if you focus on approval rather than results, you water yourself down and you are less authentic, but often we create a persona that is based on getting approval. Is that a real, is that really us or is that the persona that we've created right now? Well, that's, that's the, that's what's, that's an interesting question to me. And, and one of the, one of the reasons I love the model of acting as it applies to life is because you can choose whatever skin you want to wear at any time in your life. And we do it all day long. So, you know, for folks who think, well, it's not for me, you know, and they start distancing themselves from this idea. Every time you get dressed, you're putting on a costume. (laughs) When you get dressed up in a jacket and tie, because you're going to some event, you are playing a role because you're putting on a costume. Why don't you just show up in your underwear? Too many. You see, yeah. because yeah. it's telling the world something about you that you might not want to say. So all of the things we say, all of the things we do tell the world something about us. And I like to decide what the world thinks as it relates to what I'm trying to do with my life.
0: So help me understand that. How, how does that... How does that work in your mind?
1: Well, look, let's, let's look at business for a second. You know, for folks that are trying to create their own business, they need to create their own personal brand identity. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're creating a character. And one of my students yesterday in, in my mentoring program was, 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 have, was, she said, you know, I'm having a hard time cause I'm really working so hard to find, like figure out my story and tell my story. And I'm not sure what my story is. And, and I said don't worry about it. You know? Don't worry about it. Because it's sort of like trying to go out and find yourself. Like I'm going to go find myself. Where exactly? Do you plan on finding yourself because you're right actually here right now. Whoever you are right now is who you are. And and I and I said so take that pressure away. Because it was so the pressure was so much for her that she had to find the right perfect you know, brand or the right perfect story instead of choosing a part of her story or a part of what she believes in or part of what she stands for, or just one thing and building a brand around that. So for example, when you build a personal brand identity, you want to build it on what you stand for. And for me, it's thinking big that that's always been my, my personal brand identity, but there's a lot of other things I stand for. If I only stood for thinking big, that'd be pretty limited. I stand for equality and, you know, democratic access to education uh, and independence and freedom and love and fun and humor. I stand for all these different things, but I just chose one of them to build a personal brand around. And then I amplify that part of myself in my work, in my public work. I could have chosen something else, could have chosen love, and then I would have amplified love in all of my work, but I would have been able to do the same work, same work around uh, business development and book yourself solid for getting clients and the same work around public speaking in heroic public speaking, uh, you know, they could have done the same thing. It, it wouldn't have mattered either way, but you just choose one. And it's not that big a deal at the end of the day. Am I going to get it right? Well, do you, you know, I ask myself, do I believe in thinking big? Will Will I ever not think big? Like, will I ever say, you know what? I feel like I want to stand for thinking small and petty. No, I don't think so. All right, I'll keep it. So, Choosing early and often is one of the techniques that I discuss and teach how to do in Steal the Show because decision-making is such an important aspect of accomplishing virtually anything and telling the world things about ourselves. We need to make decisions and choosing early and often is different than choosing quickly. Let me,
0: but, let me ask you yeah. a little bit about that first because sure. Michael, we have... Um, pretty much uh, 90 plus percent of, of our listeners, HTYCers that are kind of in that space where they are trying to figure out what it is that they want and what it is that they stand for. And, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I, I literally get, uh, you know, five, six, seven, ten 10 emails a day from people that are exactly in that place. Mm-hmm. And, so, well, I guess I'd love to dig into the nitty gritty on your perspective on, on how they do that, how they figure out what, what it is that they stand for, what it is that they want, because I don't really think that you can get to the point of like, you're talking about thinking big and that's something that you stand for, but I don't even think that you can think bigger than, than what you are now. If you don't have a good foundation to stand from and, in, in in understanding what it is that, that you actually want in your life and want to cultivate in your life. So mm. How does how does that how does that work in your mind?
1: Well, there's a lot of different areas of desire. There's you know personal uh, areas. There's love and romance and and, uh, and and parenthood. There are professional desires. You know financial success, um, societal recognition, different things like that. You know, we, everybody's got their own thing. And so first, I think we 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 want to get clear on on what we're trying to decide. Because I think that sometimes we bring, we like, we throw everything into a big pot and think we're going to make one decision that figures all of it out. Do you know, if I, if I make the right decision in my business, then my personal life is going to be perfect. If I find the right woman, then I'm going to know what to do with my business, you know, things like that. And I'm not sure that's exactly how it works. Why do you think we do that
0: so often? Just curious. Why, why do you think we attach so much to one particular decision or set of decisions like what you just described? If I find the, if I find the perfect woman, then everything else is just going to work out.
1: I don't know, really. I mean, the, the, the honest answer is I don't know why we do that. Maybe it's easier. You know, we think it's easier or it's an easier solution because we just have to make one decision and then everything will work. You know, we, we put uh, a, a, like an, uh, an, an, abundance of significance on one decision because that decision scares us so much or because we want the perfect outcome in that particular area. And if we don't make the right decision, then we are going to suffer for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. There's a great book called The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less by Barry Schwartz. Barry Schwartz is a professor of social theory and social action at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. Okay. And the book is, again, is called The Paradox of Choice. Paradox of Choice
0: by Barry Schwartz.
1: Um, Yeah. So read that after you read Steal the Show by Michael Port. (laughs) But the reason I bring up the book is because he talks about this concept uh, of maximizers and satisficers. So he says some people are maximizers and others are satisficers. And a maximizer is somebody who will only do something if it's the best. They they don't want to do it unless it's the absolute best. They have to have the best of everything. Hmm. And the satisficer is the person who is satisfied with things that are enough. For example, the maximizer wants a sweater. They want a green sweater but they want the best green sweater. So they go, I want the best cashmere green sweater. And I want it to be the best brand. And I want it to be fit perfectly. And I want, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they spend all this time trying to find that perfect, perfect sweater. And they think they find it. They get it. They wear it. They walk down the street. They see somebody else with a green sweater that they go, wait a minute. I didn't see that one. That one might be better. And also they're not super satisfied with their purchase and they're frustrated and they think they made a bad choice. So they put so much stock in the choice in the first place, and then they often regret the choice, feel bad about the choice, and start making other choices and throw out the choices they originally made. Whereas the satisficer says, hmm, I need a sweater to keep me warm. How about a green one? Yeah, I like green. Okay. Well, I'll get a soft one. Good. Ah, there's one at the store, a green soft sweater. I'll buy it. Now I'll move on with my life because this is good enough. So what what, um, Professor Schwartz says is that people who are satisficers tend to have less depression, uh, and are often l- more satisfied with the choices they make more satisfied with their life. Very, very successful people are often very dissatisfied people. It's, it's of course, there's the paradox because they always want more. So they'll make more money. They'll make more money. They'll get more stuff. You know, they'll, they'll go for the best of everything, but they're still not satisfied. And that's, you know, that's one way to live of course, but it, it's, 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 it's a, it's a definition of, of success, uh, that may not be uh, an ideal one if you think about it, but you find yourself going in that direction without realizing it because you're a maximizer in that way. Another example is if two different groups of people, uh, if they have, if they're selling two ceiling fans, you know, the fans you put on the ceiling, that go around and around and they make wind.
0: I've got some of those.
1: Okay, so they're selling two of them. They're exactly the same. Same price point, same brand, same color, everything the same. But they make one of them uh, an all-sales final purchase. And the other one is a lifetime money-back guarantee. And they sell this to two different groups of people. Which group do you think is more satisfied with their purchase? Hmm. Out of the maximizer or the well, not the maximizer, or the satisficer. No, the in the group, general. If I'm just satisficer. in general, like half the people bought, got the fan, but there's no they is a you know for life, no money back guarantee. No, no, and the other. thing it could.
0: It's going to be the guarantee virtually every single time.
1: It's the guarantee because because and I, I mean not money back guarantee, meaning guarantee that they cannot return it. All sales are final. Is the group that on average is more satisfied. Why? Because they make a psychological commitment to the decision. Mm, So if you...
0: That's interesting. It's counterintuitive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's counterintuitive because what happens is they get home, they put the fan in, and they go, okay, looks good. Great. And they move on. And then they buy a stove later on and they put the stove in and go, oh, yeah, matches up pretty well. Great. But the people who... Because they made a psychological commitment to it, but the people who bought the fan were... They could return it at any point. They put it in and they go, hmm, do you think it works? I don't know. You, re- you were pushing me to get it. I wasn't sure. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll just leave it for the time being and, and we'll see how we feel. And then they keep looking up at it and going, I don't know. Uh, all right. They get back to their Cheerios and three weeks later, look up. Ah, I mean, I, I don't know. But it's here's they know all it, the
0: mental baggage along with it.
1: Then. Yeah, because then what happens is they buy yeah. a stove. They put the stove in. They go, look, it doesn't go this uh, we should have, uh, you were, you talked me into it. I'm really pissed. You know, whatever it is, cause they can always get it. So it, when we make a psychological commitment, a non-reversible commitment to something, then we tend to be more satisfied and we follow through on it more likely. And so this is, I, I bring this up because, you know, you ask, you know, why do we put so much stock in one particular decision? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think what we often do is we often make decisions, but we don't make them with non-reversible commitments. Hmm. So, you know, I use this language, non-reversible is very strong language, but of course you can, you know, if I want to decide to rebrand myself and not be the guy to call when you're tired of thinking small and I want to focus on, on something else, I can do that. I can do that. But what I, what I do when I make the choice is I say, this is going to be a non-reversible commitment for a period of time. So I'm not going to think about making a choice away from it at all for a certain period of time. And when I made that choice, I said 10 years. Do you know Jeff Goins? I do know Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Goins actually just wrote uh, a uh, wrote a blurb uh, for Steel the Show uh, because he loved it, and so that's why. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, yeah. So when
0: Jeff came on the show, he talked about this concept of um, dating. Your we were talking about careers and everything like that. But yeah, I, I talked about dating versus getting married mm-hmm. to your career and and around decisions. And it, it makes mm-hmm. me th- what you're talking about makes me think. A lot about that type of thing, and then some of the psychology behind it, and, and mm-hmm. I really think that you're right. Many of us are, even if we've made a decision, we have not fully.
1: Yeah, we got one, one, right. one, one um, foot out the door, yeah. or we just put one foot in the because water. What if? <laughs> yeah, because of what if. So you know, there's a difference in, in, I have two different companies and and we pilot new ideas. So we get them going. Like I had a new idea, uh, for a program where, uh, we rent a big theater, 600 people. We bring our film crews and people can come and do five minutes of their presentations. We help edit the scripts for them and make sure that, you know, they're doing the right part. And then we film them and create a fantastic demo reel for them because most people don't have very good demo reels and they want to speak without a demo reel. They can't get booked to speak. And I had the idea. And within one week, we had it organized, space booked, web page up, you know, obviously all the copyright written. Uh, you know, all, uh, all of the automated sales processes designed, implemented, because we move very quickly. This is, this is a big part of, uh, of, of our mission. Our focus is to yeah. move quickly, but because I want to see if it works, I want to see if it works and that's a pilot. And if it works really well, well then maybe we'll make it a thing that we make a commitment to for the next five years. But the initial one is a pilot. But once we say, yes, we're doing this, well, then we make the commitment and we, st- we stick with it. If it totally bombs, if it doesn't work at all, then we do a post-mortem and say, is it, is it a great idea that we just didn't implement, we didn't execute well, and we should try to pilot it again? Or uh, is it really just, was a, an idea that's not working for us? And if that's the case, then we just toss it and we move on. But once we commit, we commit. And, and that's why, look, you know, take marriage, for example there were fewer divorces a hundred years ago than there are now Mm -hmm. in part because it was harder to get one, but also because it wasn't common practice. Now uh, you know, you could argue, well, people had to stay in bad marriages. They stay in bad marriages all the time now, Uh, but you, it wasn't so easy to get out. So if it's really easy to get out of something, you know, when push comes to shove, you may get out of it. It doesn't uh, look, I've, I've uh, actually, I've, uh, I think lots of people should leave their relationships because they're bad relationships and they don't because they're scared of what's out there, uh, that it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be worse than what they have or they're scared of the unknown because the future is uncertain, etc. That's a whole nother conversation uh, entirely. But my point is, is that when things are tough, it's easy to say no. When things are tough, it's easy to say, that I made the wrong decision, let me make another decision and to rebel against the decisions you've made. So I say... Look, I've done a lot of different things over my career, a lot of different things. And I enjoyed each one. And then I got to the point where I said, now it's time to move on. But I think that you really enjoy doing the things that you're doing when you're working in areas where you're naturally talented, where you have natural strengths uh, and you're intellectually curious. But frankly, it almost doesn't matter what you're doing sometimes. I could, I, I could go right now and I could run a boat dealership. And I'd be happy because I love boats. Yeah. I don't think I'd do it for the rest of my life, or maybe I would. I don't know. But I would go there and say, I love boats. This could be really exciting, interesting. You know, it doesn't have the elements of the things I'm doing now, but it has different elements and I'm going to commit to it for five years and I'm going to knock it out of the park, do my best, and then I'll reevaluate. But I could enjoy it if I'm still, if all, as long as I'm working in areas where I'm naturally strong. Now, accounting would be very difficult for me because I don't have natural ability to do that kind of work. So I would hate it. So my point is, if you're it almost sometimes to a certain extent, I feel at least in my experience, it almost doesn't matter. I know that sounds crazy. But as long as you're working in areas where you're gifted, where you have strength that you like, then you can enjoy what you're doing. So I don't hear that. And, and I,
0: you know, I didn't. Let me ask, first of all, is this in steal the show? what we're talking about right now it, it's okay, all perfect. St- perfect. The show, yeah. perfect
1: then there's a whole chapter on decision making specifically
0: i haven't gotten to read the book yet but i am super excited to read it because everything that i just heard you say i hear so rarely and you know i mean we've literally created an entire business an entire course on some of those those types of concepts because I found again and again and again, and this is sort of what I think I hear you saying is that if you like take what we started talking about at the beginning in terms of, Hey, if you know what you stand for, if you know what you want and you know what, uh, what you desire, and then you're able to commit to it in any way that happens to align really well with those things, then you're going to have, um, I would say much better happiness, uh, but probably better aligned success too for whatever success means to you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And your risk tolerance is, is an an important thing to consider. You know, how much risk are you willing to take? If your risk tolerance is very low, uh, you know, then do something that doesn't have a lot of risk associated with it. But if you want to do things that have risk associated with it, and then make sure you can handle, that risk because, you know, say being an entrepreneur, you know, is kind of risky, uh, but the rewards are quite extraordinary. I always feel that working for somebody else is pretty risky too, because they could walk in any day of the week and say, you're fired. And then you're, you're out. Uh, But if you know how to build a business, you know how to make money, if you know how to market and sell things, well, then you can always get back up on your feet. Uh, and nobody can fire you. Exactly. So the the third part of steal the show is all public speaking. It's a tour de force on public speaking technique. So we've been talking a lot about the philosophy behind performance and just philosophy in general. We've uh, we've you know we've hit a number of different topics, yeah. and it's really interesting, really exciting to me. The 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 part the third part of steal the show is all about public speaking, all the to do's, what not to do's. And there are a lot, I, I teach a lot of things that run counter to what is typically taught, uh, because I'm trained as a professional actor and in the world of public speaking, you, you don't often learn how to perform the way an actor would perform, which I think is incredibly helpful, obviously. Um, you I don't turn anybody into actors, but there's a lot of things that people do when public speaking that they do because other people do, but it has no place on the stage uh, and is actually quite detrimental. You know, little things, for example, and little things make a big difference. Yeah. Little things like... Before you tell a story saying, I'm gonna tell you a story. Why is that a problem? Because when you say, Let me tell you a story, when you're giving a speech, people are like, Oh good, here comes a story in a speech. I hope this is good. Most speeches, most stories are not good in speeches. All of a sudden that starts going through their mind. And the best stories are the ones that you don't even realize you're in. All of a sudden you're in the middle of a story and you go, mm, where does this go?
0: It's almost Go like ahead. when people call you Big Mike, they've got expectations with it. If I say, hey, I'm going to tell you a story, then there's expectations that come along with that.
1: Exactly. And it better be a good story. It better be. uh, You know, every, every article that you'll read about, not every, but most of the articles that you read about public speaking will say, tell stories. They, they neglect to say, tell good stories. So... One of the things I do in Still the Show is teach people how to, A, find stories to tell based, you know, from their life, how to source them, and then how to sculpt them using uh, the three-act structure, which is the which is the primary structure that's used for playwriting, you know, where there's an exposition, there's a there's a given circumstances that are introduced in act one, then in act two, there's a conflict, then in act three, there's a resolution. Uh, so that, just because just cause you lived a story doesn't mean that you're ready to tell it without sculpting it uh, for a presentation. So we can stay away from that. You know, I'm going to tell you a story. We also uh, probably shouldn't say now let's get started because that means that the first number of minutes that you've been speaking have been a waste of time. They've just been filler, you know, like, Oh, I just flew in from Albuquerque. Boy, my arms are tired. Do you know (laughs) that that you don't need to start off presentations with jokes and most people should, it's probably a a better idea not to, you also don't need to say, to tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you told them. That is something that's often taught. It's fine. Sometimes a good idea. Sometimes it's very effective. It's, it's, it's a worthwhile, it's a worthwhile thing to do. Often when you're doing things like webinars or teleseminars and in some speeches that makes perfect sense, but often the audience loves the ride. And they don't know where you're going next, but they're excited to find out. You know, if you turn on an episode of Breaking Bad and uh, Walt's uh, character, uh, st- oh, you know, it was the first thing you saw on screen is like, listen, in this episode, I'm going to make drugs. Then I'm going to sell them. Then I'm going to get in a fight with another drug dealer and blow up his house. Then I'm going to you be like, why am I? What's the point of watching this? It's why I don't watch trailers for movies, because I know what happened in the movie. What's the point of watching it? So people want to be taken on a journey. So you don't need to do that, even though that's what you are told you should do often.
0: It's
1: the popular. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Another, another thing that's uh, very popular that's often taught is, is that you must be definitive. You must be absolute. And, and what happens is, you know, to, to show how strong you are and how, how, how much, you know, what you're talking about. And I think that actually puts holes in your material, in your presentation. Because if I say, look, everybody, you should think like this. Everybody does this or you have to do this or it's always this way. I'm patently lying. Just like if I said all generalities are false. Hmm. Of course not all generalities are false. Some of them might be true. So what we want to do is use language that leaves room for other viewpoints. So I might say people will often do this. And if you go back and listen to the recording that you'll notice that that's usually what I do. And every once in a while, I will make a mistake and say "Well, we have to, and then I'll, and then I'll correct myself as quickly as I can. If I catch it and say, you might consider doing this because if you're an audience member and, 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 and I say, well, you have to do this to, you know, accomplish X, Y, Z, you'll go, well, I don't really have to, I don't have to do anything. Or if I say, you know, everybody hates marketing. Well, you might say, yeah, I hate it, but my sister loves it. So that's not true. And all of a sudden, you know, these things that you're saying, which are worthwhile, uh, they become actually false. But if I said, many people don't like marketing and selling, you go, yeah, that's true. You can't argue with that. You see? So you're, you're actually, you're actually firming up your argument by leaving more room for other perspectives.
0: I love that. I haven't thought a whole lot about that particular concept, but I absolutely love that. Yeah. I probably struggle I with that sometimes.
1: Well, um, I, I think many of us do. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and it's just, it's because language is important. Language is very important, especially for the public speaker. The way that you frame ideas is what often makes you a good speaker or a mediocre speaker. And so there's the content side of things and there's the performance side of things. So in steal the show, I break down how to develop content step by step by step by step from an organizational perspective, from a big idea perspective, from a promise perspective, all of the different elements that you that need to be in place often because each speech can be different in order to, uh, to, to make your content consumable for the audience. And if we make it too easy, the audience doesn't need to think anymore. And they start to zone out. If we make it too complicated, they can't keep up and they zone out. So we're trying to find the balance. You know, the audience should work for their lunch. The people who are listening to this should have to think, this is my perspective. I think they should have to think to, to, to stay with us. If they're not thinking, then we're not doing a great job of, of introducing new ideas, different ideas, different perspectives. It doesn't mean we're right all the time. It doesn't even mean that we are, we articulate uh, our ideas perfectly all the time. But what we're doing is we're giving them at least, let's say the perfect interview here, or the perfect speech is a four. Well, we give them two, they give us two. So if we give them four, there's nothing for them to do, and it's it's kind of boring. If we give them a zero, well, then they're going to go right away because there's nothing for them there. So it's this balance. And the more engaged they are because they need to think and pay attention, then the better the experience is for, for the performer and for the audience member.
0: Michael, this is... Phenomenal. And I'm really wishing we would have booked an additional hour here (laughs) because I, especially on the speaking part, this is, this is a personal goal for me over the course of this year is to improve my speaking in a couple of key areas. But so I'm learning a ton.
1: Uh, just uh, just listen Well, we'll to you, what but, we'll do is we'll book wow. another hour. Mm-hmm. I'll come back and we'll do another hour just on public speaking. And we'll talk about things like blocking, you know, how to block your presentation, which is knowing exactly where you're going to move and why you're going to move there at all times uh, so that the audience has a better frame for what they're seeing so that you have more resonance. So your transitions are more powerful, uh, how never to look down uh, when you are speaking unless it's an intentional choice, because what most people do is they look down when they are trying to think of what to say next. And then they get into this habit of pacing back and forth. They finish what they're going to say. Then they look down. Then they look back up, say the next thing, pace over to the other side. Then they finish what they're saying, look down, think of what we're going to say, pick their head up, start talking and move pace back to the other side. So, uh, and then that's in part because they don't know their material that well. So, uh, they check out every time they want to, uh, or not every time, but most of the time that they want to, that they need to remember something and, you know, they, they get nervous. They don't stay with the audience. But if you want to remember what you're going to say next, stay with the audience. Don't look down because if you look down, they disconnect and they, they look at you and go, mm, he doesn't know what's coming next. And that makes them uncomfortable. But if you stay with them and you look at them, you will more often than not remember what's coming next because you will remember just what you said because you were looking at them when you were talking to them, just like if you were having a normal conversation. Plus, it looks like you're actually having more intimate, personal, connected moments with them. So if you watch me give a speech, you'll – you will virtually never see me look down unless it's an intentional choice. And I'm trying to make a point to the audience. There's a reason I'm looking down, but you'll see me looking at the audience often with long pauses. And sometimes it's because I'm like, what the heck was I going to say next? But you, you might not realize it just looks like, wow, that's an intense moment. He's got going with that audience. But in my mind is going, what am I saying? Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Now I'll move on to the next thing.
0: That is Awesome.
1: (laughs) And now here's one one last thing. One last thing. And then I know I got to wrap. One last thing is this. Sometimes speech coaches, coaches will tell you to slow down because you talk too fast. Some people have that, uh, that, that get that advice. Uh, And I I understand what they're saying. I, I would reframe it. And I would suggest you think about pausing rather than slowing down. Now being on the air like this is different than being on a stage. You can have much longer pauses, on a stage than on the radio because on the radio it becomes dead air and all of a sudden you go are they still there did i lose the signal but you're on the stage they know you're still there because they can see you but you people can understand us speak very quickly very very quickly what helps them consume what we're saying are the pauses in between the ideas that we're sharing hmm so we focus on the pauses because those are what are called beats. And this is all from the actor's language. They're beats, which are also often transitions. And in those beats are, are, are often when the information lands, when the idea lands, when the experience hits, when you get, you know, like a, a shot right through the heart or, you know, a, a light bulb goes off. It's in those beats, those pauses.
0: I think that could work so well for me because I've discovered, compared to most people, I think very, very slowly, or I or I take a long time to process through stuff. So, I uh, that that is fantastic. Hey, so before before I let you go though, how can people get a hold of "Steal the Show"? Because we're recording this earlier, but
1: it's gonna it's gonna be live. Very, very yeah yeah. So any anywhere anywhere books are sold, of course, just hopping over to Amazon. Uh, pick up a copy. You can also go to stealtheshow.com. that's steal the And there's lots and lots of goodies and bonuses and giveaways, of course, because when you release a book, you want to incentivize people to buy it now, not wait until later. So we've got lots of fun stuff there. Lots of free videos on uh, public speaking training that you can go get, uh, but get it. I it's, I've written, this is my sixth book and it is uh, tied for my best book, ever. So this is, uh, this is something I am so proud of. And I absolutely promise, I guarantee it'll be well worth the few bucks that you spend on it because, you know, all the world's a stage, as Shakespeare said. And the way that you perform on that stage will determine how successful you are in life.
0: There you have it. Go and get the book, get on Amazon, get on, and, and we'll put some links into it as well. So that you can just click on, uh, happen to slash 94 and go right, right there and just purchase the book right from, right from the page. Michael, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been awesome. It's been fun. Uh,
1: and from my perspective, I've learned a whole bunch too. So I, I very much appreciate it. It is my pleasure. I never take these opportunities for granted. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, I I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Go out, get, steal the show. If you haven't already, I think that you will love it. And if, if you also haven't subscribed to the podcast, you should do that because guess what? Then you don't have to. Then you don't have to go in and download and mess with all that stuff. You can just get it in your sleep. Go to iTunes. Go to Stitcher. Wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, whatever you play or you use, I'm sure that you can get it. Hit subscribe and do it. Get it in your sleep and make your life a lot easier. That's kind of what we talk about here: how to make your life easier and spend the time doing the things that you want to be doing. This is just one small way. Look for others. All right. Hey, we'd also really appreciate it if you take the time. It means a lot to us and also means a lot to other people that find the podcast when you absolutely take the time to go to iTunes or go to Stitcher and rate and review our show. You know, give us an honest review. We'd we'd absolutely love to have it. Whatever you want to say, you know, five stars, one stars, I don't care. As long as it's honest, that's what we're looking for. And if it's a five star, we might also, you know, mention you on the show. So we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for spending your time with us on Happen to Your Career. I am
2: out. Here's what's coming next week on the Happen to Career Podcast. What am I? What am I doing here? You know, I don't. I don't even care what I'm doing at this desk right now. So that was
0: that was the big moment I think for me when I when I got to keynote that I realized. I needed to do something other than just a nine-to-five job. The idea is that you can kind of see trends that are happening if you pay attention. If you keep your eyes open and you look at what's happening in the world and sort of what's going on, you can start to see trends. And when something comes along that's sort of at the beginning of the trend, you can reap huge rewards from taking advantage of that trend and getting getting involved with that trend Before it kind of, if you think of it as a wave, kind of before the wave crests.
2: Thanks for sticking around at the end of this episode here. My name is Josh Rivers. I'm working with Scott on the Happening to Your Career podcast. I'm just one of the members on the team, and we are approaching episode number 100. We are so excited about the many things that have happened in all of our lives and especially what's happening in your life. And so we want to share this special episode of Celebration to be able to get your feedback. We want to include that on the podcast. So if you can go to HappenToYourCareer.com slash 100 submission, then you will be able to go there and you can leave a either a written piece of comment or feedback, whatever you would like to share. Or you can be able to record and send it to the email that is on that page and we can be able to have your voice played on the podcast sharing your thoughts about what happened to your career has done for you over the past two years. So we're definitely excited for all of this. And so again, If you want to help participate in that and have your voice on there, or at least have your thoughts read, go to HappenToYourCareer.com slash 100 submission. Definitely looking forward to hearing from you.